Welcome to Be Brave at Work, a podcast devoted to helping you take the next step in your workplace. Each week, we'll be talking with real people with real stories about things they have not said or done or have said or done in their workplace that required bravery. Let's get started. Hi, everyone. This is Ed Everts, and I'm the founder and president of Excellius Leadership Development. Welcome to Be Brave at Work, a podcast devoted to helping you take the next step in your workplace. I hope you'll listen to our past podcast conversations, and if you'd like to hear past episodes, go to BeBraveAtWork.com, subscribe to our podcasts, and learn some valuable lessons about bravery at work. My new book, Drive Your Career, Nine High-Impact Ways to Take Responsibility for Your Success, is now available in paperback, on Kindle, and in audio at Amazon.com, BarnesandNoble.com, and any online book retailer you prefer. Check out Drive Your Career today. Our podcast today is sponsored by Cabot Risk Strategies. Based in Woburn, Massachusetts, Cabot Risk Strategies has created innovative and customized insurance strategies for individuals and families, businesses, nonprofits, commercial real estate, and public entities. Cabot's client base continues to expand both within the region and within the markets they serve. And if you are looking for customized insurance services and solutions, contact Cabot at 800-222-5963 or visit them for more information at cabotrisk.com. I'm thrilled to introduce my podcast guest for today. Pierre Quinn is a gifted communicator and engaging storyteller who has invested nearly a decade teaching communication and leadership principle to college students. As a speaker, Pierre has keynoted on stages with over 2,000 attendees. As a corporate trainer, Pierre has worked to develop leaders across all disciplines and industries. And as an author, he's written two books that focus on empowering, aspiring, and emerging leaders, including Leading While Scared, How to Find the Courage to Keep Going, and Leading While Green, How Emerging Leaders Can Ripen into Effective Leaders. I love that word ripen because that really evokes the evolution leaders have to go through from where they start to where they want to be. So I hope we'll talk about both of those books and their relationship to bravery in the workplace. Hello, Pierre. Ed, thanks for inviting me to share with you today. I'm looking forward to our conversation. Fantastic. Well, I'm thrilled that you're here. And I took kind of a gentle stab at your bio. And I'm wondering if you could tell us a little bit more about what you do today and how you interact in the marketplace. Yeah, my work really falls into three buckets, working with leaders and teams to first assess their strengths, to second, build stronger organizational cultures, and then to third, foster or deepen the relationships that lead to personal and professional transformation. I tell people if I if I had to write a new bio or new website or or new elevator pitch, I would tell people that I help I help emerging and seasoned professionals learn to place nicely in their company sandboxes uh, because we have all these smart people who've matriculated through school as individual contributors for the most part, and then we stick them on teams and say play nice and work together, and they often struggle with that, so they bring in people like me and you to help them with that work. Well, a lot of people, I think, come from the what I call soccer mentality, which is everyone's a winner. So even the losing team is a winner. And then suddenly you're thrown into a job or a team where that's not how they play on those teams. Right. There can be people who are, quote unquote, losers or not prevail. And so that could be an adjustment, I think, for a lot of people. As you talk to college students and younger people entering the workplace, is that a model that you see or experience? It, it is. There, there are people who are so, so adamant about the achievement portion, the success portion, the accomplishment portion. I would tell my, my students, I would say, listen, listen, 
college is really, and I know people would argue and push back against this, and I'm okay with that, but I would say college is really only 60% you getting this degree. The uh, A huge part of it is the networking, is figuring out how to get along with people who are not like you. It's the discovery. It's the the taking a chance, taking the risk, finding your own journey and your own path. And for a lot of people, they're thrown off because they lean so heavily into the matriculation process and don't do some of that discovery hard work that needs to correspond with the head of work. And then they get into these professional environments and sometimes hit a tailspin because they're now finding themselves having to process heavily in a context that doesn't always lend itself to that. So taking the time when the, the, the weight is less heavy to do some of this discovery work, even finding out where your own bravery and courage lie in a, in a less pressurized environment where it's okay to take, to take a, a loss or a step back or not be the highest performer to do it during that section of life. Because when the stakes are higher and there's family involved and major contracts involved and legalities involved, sometimes you don't always feel like you, you have the time and space because everyone is expecting you to already know how to win. Well, there was a time when uh, when you went to college that there was this mentality that you applied from high school, you went to college that fall, you spent four years at college, you got a job, and you stayed at that company for 40 years until you were the executive vice president of sales, and then you retired. And today, you know, I think you and I both agree, I don't think college is for everyone. So I don't think everyone has to go to college. I think college isn't for everyone right away. So sometimes it makes sense based on your maturity level or financial situation to work for a couple of years until you're ready to go to college. I think the worst thing a parent can do is to send a kid to college who's not ready for college, because that can only just feed into insecurities and uh, performance behavior issues, etc., as opposed to waiting until they're ready. And of course, colleges, just like junior high and high schools, don't teach us about bravery, right? There might be schools that have a class saying, uh, take this class as extra credit on how to be braver in the workplace. But, you know, we don't learn all that. And so we graduate, we go to work, and we're put in as a manager or a leader, and we're told to do things that require bravery. And we are wildly underprepared for that experience. It, when you look at the foundational experiences that we have, and I think in, to your point about the transition from high school to college, I, I think we're in a space where more more parents, more guardians, more caretakers I should be should be leaning more into these conversations, having a brave conversation on, is this the right space for you? As you look at your professional journey, your next step is, is it college degree? Is it apprenticeship? Is it military? Is it a, a gap year? Is it is it some other program or experience that will allow you to try something different and try something new? I think for the younger individuals who are looking to this conversation or listening to this conversation, that's a way to exercise bravery, to bring up that perspective. And then for our parents who are listening and we, and I get it, you're, you're an executive, you're a high performer, you're a senior vice president. You graduated from Ivy league. You were captain of the lacrosse team or, or you were on the bowling team, whatever it was. And you have this high achievement, this high achievement framework for your, for your children based on your individual success. But are you brave enough to, to come face to face with the reality that my children's paths, even though I, 
have a great path and career and story that needs to go into a book or even be a guest on a podcast, that might not be the path for my children. And can I lean into bravery enough to, to process and be okay if their journey to the professional world, to becoming a contributing member of society to a greater degree, am I okay if it doesn't look like mine or doesn't look like what I framed out for them? Well, and it's challenging because we look at bravery in a couple of ways. One is individually, like you're describing, like, can I do this or do I want to do this or what is the risk of doing it? But then there's also the cultural influences that we have. And certainly going from high school to college, there is tremendous cultural pressure, right? So my daughter's high school, and I'm sure most high schools do this, produce a list at the end of the year of all of the seniors and what college they're going to, right? And there's always kids that have undecided or and then the second uh, phrase that you used just a few moments ago, which I think maybe we need to modify is gap year, right? Well, it may not be a gap year. It might be a transition year or it might be the direction I'm choosing to go, right? So I'm not taking a gap from anything. I'm choosing a different path or going a different way or going to do it in three to five years when I'm better prepared or maybe financially I need to help at home and so I'm going to get a job, et cetera. But you know, all of those are personal choices that I think all of us have to make without feeling guilty or like we're missing something. Yeah, the the framing, the language is so important, right? We and, and let's be honest, let's be honest, Ed. It's a business. So in the business, in the pipeline, I get you in middle school. I attract you. I get you uh, to Big Ten or Division One. I, I get you attracted. I start sending the things to your house. So that by the time that you get to high school, you have your what are your top five schools that you're going to apply to? And this whole feeling about it. And we're, we're socializing people in many ways to feel like, well, if that's not something I'm interested in right now, then there's something wrong with me. So even the language of, of, of gap suggesting that something is missing. And what if there's nothing missing? What if my, my path and my, my direction is different? The crazy thing about it is, you know, turning 40, as we're recording this, I'm turning 40 this year. And when I do work with organizations as a consultant, no one asked me what school I went to. Like it, it's not a part, it's not a part of the conversation. And I'm not saying it doesn't matter. It, it, it matters to a degree, but the older that you get, you realize the things in certain sections of life that I was so adamant about that made the hugest difference, or I chose to acquiesce on because I did not know how people were going to respond that quite often the older that you get, some of those things hardly come up in conversation uh, anymore. So it, it really lends itself to taking a braver stance if you know, 10, 20 years from now, even five years from now, no one's going, most people or some people are not going to say, hey, I noticed that you took two years to work for a nonprofit or travel the world as a blogger or vlogger before you went to school. That, that doesn't come up. And then later on, it's there's the regret, right? Man, I should have taken some time. <laughs> I should have done it I differently. Think, I, I think everybody hears those stories and says, oh, I wish that was me or I wish I had done that. I should have went to school summer. But well, was, look, uh, you know, 10 years ago or so, uh, I took education off my bio because to the point you're making, it never came up and I needed space on my bio. And I'm like, well, what can I take out that – 
is irrelevant to what I'm currently doing. And I don't think anybody cares that I went to the University of Arkansas. I mean, it's it's irrelevant. It's an interesting talking point, and I can also share that with people verbally. But you know, it doesn't need to take space. So you know, these are all interesting experiences that people have as they kind of travel and navigate uh, their life as they continue to grow and evolve. And I'm wondering, Pierre, if when you think about bravery in the workplace, are there any words or phrases that come up that, you know, really resonate for you? Yeah, there's one word. I view it in two ways, and that word is help. And the reason why I use the word help is because, you know, being from the emerging leader standpoint, I wrote this book, Leading While Green, how emerging leaders can ripen into effective leaders uh, from my professional journey at the time. And one of the things that I was the most afraid to do, Ed, was to ask for help. Like, I don't know the answer. The people around me know I don't know the answer. But I'm going <laughs> to pretend like I do know the answer. I'm going to pretend like I do. And it's just, and it's. And again, I think part of it is the the socialization that happens, the the picture that happens, or the the individuals we see that rise to the top of the stories we tell the most. We tell the story from the perspective as if they've always had it together, as all as as if they've always been the the superstar, deal maker, courageous person. And we don't dive enough into the backstory to to, to identify the fact that yes, like like us, they too at the beginning dealt with huge sections of uncertainty. So help from the perspective of asking for help when you need it, developing the bravery to ask help, ask for help when you need it, it is a muscle that needs to be continuously worked and you'll be a better leader because of it. Well, this is, I was going to say this, you know, this is an area that as I've worked with leaders and as I've had guests on my podcast, uh, that most leaders are not good at. And, you know, I think there is a little bit of an inverse pyramid at play that the more senior I am in an organization, the more we assume you have all the answers. Right. So the president of a company must know everyone and everything about the company because that's how they got there. When in reality, you know, we hear this phrase that, you know, leadership is lonely at the top because I don't have people that I can go to. I'm certainly not going to for some leaders to say I don't know. Uh, it's it's hard. It's really hard to do that. Yeah. And I think it requires just a, a shift in in how we frame out our role and our responsibility. Is it my job? Even if I look at the job description, even if I look at the org chart, even if I look at circles of influence, are is the organization paying me to know everything and if they're not paying me to know everything because no one is paid to know everything there are they paying me to be a solution provider a a solution seeker are they paying me to be a a connector or to empower or to oversee all of those things require contributions from other people my my mindset on this it shifted several years ago. I like certain shows on television. I like political dramas. I don't know why. I, I just do. And when I'm watching political dramas, one of the things that I know, there was a show, there was a show that, that came on by, you know, an actor that I liked and the actor in the show ended up just becoming president. Just something happened and they became president. And they literally just have to ask questions because they have no idea. They have no idea of the process, the framework, what's next, what form they're supposed to sign, what meeting they're supposed to have. And then I would watch regular television and I would see people who are in high positions, even politically, 
all of them have advisors. All of them have maybe experts on a particular policy or region of the world or system. And in order for the president or senior leader to be their best, it requires that they connect with the person who has the expertise, the insight, the perspective in the space that they don't. And in fact, doing so makes them a better leader because they're willing to listen to advice, counsel and perspective. And I'm like, OK, I'm not into politics, but the show that I watch, the political show that I watch is doing this. And what I see on the political leaders on TV, some of them, not all of them are doing this. Well, then for me as a young leader, I should be asking myself, even if it's not in a professional org chart framework, for my professional journey, who are my advisors? Who are my consultants? Who are the people who are giving me the perspective, whose ear that I could catch, who, who will slip a note under my virtual uh, door uh, to give me the perspective that I need? And where will I do myself a detriment as a leader if I don't lean into what they offer or even respond because this is the other side of help offering assistance and guidance when you see that someone needs it. So not just asking for it, but offering it. So when it's offered to me, can I move to a place where I'm brave enough to accept it, where I, my ego is in check and I'm okay with Ed saying, okay, you know, you know, Pierre, you're really good in this area. Have you thought about, have you considered, or I'd like to support you in this area, this other area and embracing that part of the journey. I know it takes a lot of bravery, but it's but it's also very, very needed. Well, it does take, for whatever reason, a lot of bravery. And I think the political arena is a great way for all of us to experience it. I think back on Barack Obama, and as an adult, he was the first political figure, I think, ever in my life, who got up there and said, you know, I don't know that we handled that really well. I think we can handle that a little bit better. You know, most presidents, most people who are in politics never ever said, I think we can do it better, or they always dance and you knew they were dancing and they knew they were dancing, right? But, you know, they they could never say, hey, I think we made a mistake or, hey, I think we could do that better. I agree with you. I think that makes you a better leader by being transparent and saying, hey, I'm not perfect. I think we could have thought about that to a little greater degree of detail. And here's what we're going to do next time, right? So you move it to the future, get off the present and say, here's what we're going to do next time in order to make this better and keep us moving forward. And, you know, I just, in my mind, I just believe it is just cultural that we have this belief that the more senior you are, and of course the president of the United States is like the most senior person in the country, uh, it's, almost impossible. And of course, I'm sure on that television show, I would imagine that people also went after this person because they didn't have all the answers and said, well, you can't ask, right? You can't rely and you can't ask and they don't know, right? And they would just kind of uh, peel back the layers of that onion. But it takes a true person to acknowledge that, hey, I'm not here because I have all the answers. I'm here because I can help us move forward. And quite frankly, I have to turn to other people who you might ask questions that I don't have an answer for. No, in, in the show, the redeeming quality of this particular character was their willingness to admit, I messed this up. I don't have all the answers. I made the wrong call. And the rallying, the rallying position, the clarion call, how can we come together moving forward to learn from the mistake, to learn from my blunder, to get the right resources and people in the room so that the next time we see something similar, we'll be able to navigate this. And it's, it just, it feels, 
and, and I'm sure you've been there, but it feels so uncomfortable when you're sitting before your your leaders or who are, even if it's just one other person in your organization and you have to admit, man, I messed that up. <laughs> yeah, well, it, it yes, I, I, I've been there. So I've been at those meetings where I've been asked questions and my first inclination was to make something up and try to act like I had the answer. And it was clearly obvious to others that I didn't have the answer. And instead of saying, hey, that's a really good question. I don't know that I have a really good answer for it. So let me investigate that and I'll get back to everybody tomorrow by noon would have been a much better answer than, you know, dancing around the story and extending the erosion that might have been happening of people's perception of me as a leader. So, Pierre, it has been great speaking with you today. And I just want to leave our listeners with a couple of lessons that we'd like to leave them with. Uh, Your key word as it pertains to bravery is help. And it's both asking for help and recognizing that that makes you a strong leader. And of course, when we talk about being brave at work, oftentimes it's about giving or offering help, seeing somebody who might be struggling and or doing something they may not realize is impacting them and offering them help to get better. So thank you so much for participating today. And I'm just curious if folks would like to reach out to you to hear more about your books or your business or talk about bravery in the workplace, how might they contact you? You can find me on my website, PierreCQuinn.com. That's PierreCQuinn.com. And the social media platform that I hang out with the most is on LinkedIn. So uh, hop over to LinkedIn, type, type in Pierre Quinn in the search bar, and you'll see my face there. Fantastic, Pierre. Thank you so much for your time today. Thanks, Ed. Enjoy the conversation. And to our listeners, thank you for joining us this week, and we hope you join us next week as we further explore Being Brave at Work. We also remind you to subscribe to our podcast at BeBraveAtWork.com and or download and listen to our podcast on multiple online platforms. We are everywhere. Our podcast today was sponsored by Cabot Risk Strategies, whom you can reach at 800-222-5963 or visit them for more information at CabotRisk.com. And a reminder to check out my new book, Drive Your Career, Nine High Impact Ways to Take Responsibility for Your Own Success, which is available in paperback, electronically, and in audio everywhere online. Do you have something to say yet are not saying it? Do you have something to do yet are not doing it? Now is the time to be brave at work. Have a great week.